This week's episode of the Sports Initiative podcast is brought to you by Scoop. Here's Pippa to tell you more. Hi, my name's Pippa. I'm co-founder of a new sports nutrition startup, and I'm here to tell you about my company, Scoop. Scoop is a new sports nutrition brand in compostable pods. Over the last 18 months, we've developed the first pod-based nutrition shaker that allows you to make an easy, mess-free fitness shake in three simple steps. Pop it, shake it, drink it. Scoop's unique system offers many benefits. You can change flavors and supplement whenever you want. It's fast, easy and mess-free to prepare. Our pods are easily transportable so you can take them on the go. And it's 100% compostable. Our first blend, the Workout Whey, is a whey isolate protein drink made from only natural ingredients and is available in three delicious flavors. Want to try Scoop? You're in luck. On the 22nd of June at 1pm, we're launching Scoop via Kickstarter. By supporting Scoop on Kickstarter, you can save up to 45% on your order and will help us make Scoop a reality. Follow us on Instagram at scoop underscore en and for more information, check out www.scoopnutrition.es. Thanks. A fantastic product, so make sure you get involved. On this week's episode, we sit down with Great Britain high jumper Tom Gale. He discusses his late specialisation and how he thinks this has benefited him at an older age, his mindset going into competitions and why he thinks he does so well on the dreaded third jump, as well as his challenges in overcoming a recent injury. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with friends and family as we're continuously looking to grow. I hope you enjoy. Right, so Tom, first of all, appreciate you jumping on. I know we've spent a bit of time going back and forth and cancelling on one another and stuff, but um, are you all safe and well and kind of good after your recent competition? Yeah, yeah. Um, firstly, yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, sorry I've had to rearrange so many times, but um, yeah, yeah, I've been really good recently. Had a bit of, um, had a bit, so as, as we'll probably talk about, I had a bit of an issue with my knee after the competition. Uh been about 10 days since then and you know they're getting loads better so um yeah yeah i've been really good thank you good no need to apologize you're way busier than i am so it's more important <laughs> you found time to uh to uh, find time to do this so for people that maybe haven't come across you before or aren't aware of your background you just want to talk through kind of what you do uh, i guess as a profession and, and what that entails i guess from a kind of weekly or monthly basis yeah so um I am a British high jumper, currently ranked number one in the rankings. I've been doing this for probably about eight years now. Uh, I'm centred up at Bath Uni and I've represented GB two, three times at a junior level. Haven't quite had my senior debut yet, unfortunately, due to injuries. But um, yeah, that's kind of a very brief background um those those uh those outings have included a bronze medal at the european uh under 20s and then a silver medal at the european under 23s 
Cool. So I think probably the, the easiest question to start with is why high jump? What what drew you to the sport? What made you want to get in, involved with it in the first place? Uh, so it was never something I really, when I was growing up, it was never something I looked at and said, yeah, I want to do that. What actually happened was year seven and eight, so 2010, no, uh, 2011, 2012, I was entered into a, uh, there's an area sports competition that the schools in my area kind of get together up at Bath University and um, just compete um, in, in athletics events or have like an athletics day. Uh, and my teacher just threw me into the high jump. Uh, both years came second behind a guy called Dom from St. Lawrence. Uh, the third year, I was recommended by my teacher, Miss Marshall, to try out at the county championships. So I went through that process. I actually ended up winning the competition, which I never expected. And I was asked by someone named Caroline Howard. Um, she's a coach up at Bath Union. Also, uh, her, she's got three sons which train up there. I was just asked, you know, you, you seem to be quite good at this. Notice you haven't got any affiliation. Would you like to train up at Bath Uni? Me kind of thinking, yeah, sure. I've got nothing better to do on a Tuesday and Thursday. I'll do something a bit social. Um, just started training and it's really just kind of snowballed into a career, if I'm honest. <laughs> that was something I looked at and said, yeah, that looks really sick. Let me give that a try. It's just a case of I, I got throw, not thrown into it. I just thought I'd give it a go. Uh, I happen to be quite tall, quite springy, and then it's, um, it, it's kind of turned into what it has. And did you do a lot of sport growing up? Did you play a lot of different sports before then or not? Uh, never with a club, but I was always one who, in PE, every single time we do something, I'd always try and make it out like it was the Olympics. You know, I'd always try a little bit too hard doing something. And, uh, yeah, so I was, um, it was never something where I joined a club. Like I said, I just happened to be quite good at sport, quite athletic, really. So um, I was always out with my brother doing something. And um, I've, I've got a twin brother, so I've, I've been raised to be quite competitive. You know, we, we'd fight quite regularly. So competition became survival when we were like eight, eight, nine, ten. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what how I've ended up where I am. So more, so rather than more like structured sport, more just kind of competing against your brother about whatever it was, whether be it climbing a tree or running around the park or whatever that looked like. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we, we'd always go like every now and then we'd go out with our mates, play a little bit of football. But I think the main thing was always just going out and playing manhunt, really. So we were always quite active, but um, there was just a group of lads around the area who would get together in this like little woodland area near us. And um, yeah, we just just do stupid stuff really <laughs> just um always being outside a little bit active and then um because he, he so my brother he was actually now i remember actually we did do athletics when we were younger they had like a program up at bath uni um which they call 365 which is like an academy we didn't do it for many years because um the main thing they did was running and we weren't too interested in that but he was actually better at athletics than i was so that was quite quite entertaining um but yeah like i said just just always being active really and do you think um having that background of being more active but maybe not being in so much organized sports do you think that that's helped you kind of along this pathway now um i think it's been more of a positive than a benefit uh than a negative sorry purely in the fact that i think if i started when i was younger i probably wouldn't be doing it now uh, I, I think i was never one to stick to one thing I was always happy to just do whatever I was thrown into uh, when it came to sport um, 
So yeah, I think if I was younger and I started younger, I I just don't think I would have stuck to it really. I think I got in at a good age where I just felt like it, it was easy because I was socializing and it was fun and it was never made anything more serious than just have you know having a bit more fun that I was able to kind of get into it and let it become what it, what it has rather than it being forced upon me okay now that, that makes complete sense and in terms of um your growth at those younger age groups obviously you're quite tall now from the picture seen uh, is it six six I want to say uh six four six I'd love four, to be six six but not not quite a couple inches short. okay so six four now in terms of you were you always one of the bigger ones in in your age group or did you grow at a later date what did that look like I was always one of the taller ones but I was never that I wasn't that one who just absolutely started off massive I'd probably be like an inch or two taller than most people I remember there were a few girls taller than I was at school and then you kind of get that norm that norm of like year nine over the summer holidays all the boys just shoot up so um yeah I was never much bigger but I've always been a lot more athletic and a lot more bouncy and springy I remember there was um in primary school there was a game you used to play called bench ball and the whole point was you had two teams um try there'd be one person on each bench on either side of the hall you couldn't go past halfway and the idea was you had to throw the ball to the person on the bench and if they caught the ball you'd go up on the bench you have to try and get your whole team on the bench and whoever did it first would win and what i would do is i'd pass i'd get the ball pass it to my teammates and i'd always try and be the last person to get on the bench because i was really good at playing defense so as soon as i try and throw the ball i was able to jump up and block their shot so that's um yeah i've, I've always been the the cracker the bouncy one the one who just you know springs for legs and so do you think obviously you mentioned there kind of having that two-year period where you competed and weren't winning but then once you went through that growth spurt would you say that's when you started really excelling within the sport um not particularly. I'd say when I really started excelling was in 2016. So that was in, um, I think it was October or August 2015. My previous coach, Di, introduced me to my current coach, Dennis Doyle. Um, and I think that was when I really started excelling per se, you know, getting to somebody who was, he, he has an incredible CV of athletes. You know, he's coached multiple Olympians um multiple british record holders so when i was introduced to him at first it was very intimidating because like i said i'd always done it just very recreationally and then it had you know it, i could feel the training was a bit more intense um my uh, my pb went from 196 to 218 in one year so that was when i really was like oh, okay i'm actually quite good at this so yeah it wasn't until 2016 where that was really anything I would even take somewhat seriously. So what 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 was the jump in the training that you were doing and the detail that was being given to you? What made such a difference to to make that like that's quite a big jump in terms of yeah. height. So what what was the reasoning behind that? Um, I can't give credit to anyone other than Dennis. Really, his technical knowledge of the event is so superior that I think he because I didn't start lifting or doing any weights or I was still only training twice a week 
but because he has such a phenomenal eye for the technique, he was just able to to look at me, see exactly what I needed to do, and then it really just enabled my springs to go to work. It enabled my body to do what it really could. So yeah, I, I like I said, I can't give any more credit to my coach. I can't, oh, I can't give credit to anyone other than my coach, really. And so obviously for you, that's quite a big transition. You've gone from being in the position where it's more of a recreational thing. You're doing it because you're really, really enjoying it. I'd imagine at the point where you're meeting this guy, there must have been a conversation to say, you know, you could be very good at this. So how did that conversation go down? And what what was your thoughts around it when you, you're then making that leap to a guy who's obviously got multiple world champions, etc.? Yeah. Um. So I never actually really had the conversation with Dennis. It was more of a case of we just started training. Uh, we just, you know, it was serious, but we still had fun with it. Um, and I actually found out later that he said to my dad, even on my previous two meters, he was like, you know, he could make the World Junior Championships this year. And for me, it's always been a case of I was just chasing something. So before I was training with Dennis, uh, there was a guy in my area called Adam Brooks. He's still jumping now, but he was, you know, I was jumping like 180s and he was jumping like 195, two meters. So I've always had something to chase. So as soon as I got better than Adam, the next thing was to chase the World Junior Championship. And, you know, we never had that conversation of, you know what, I'm going to, I could be really good at this. It was just a case of as soon as my focus changed from one thing to another, I just, I just kept moving with it. I just kept putting the work in. And, um, it's like I said, I don't think the progression was for. I just think because we let it happen and we made sure it was still fun, um, that's kind of why I've been able to stay as competitive or become as competitive uh, as I did. And so how do you manage that? Because it seems like, obviously, in this conversation, a big thing for you is making it fun, which I think is a really healthy thing to have as an athlete. But obviously, like you said earlier, against your brother you want to be very competitive and you do have that competitive element which you're going to naturally as an elite athlete so how do you manage that um in terms of making it fun but also kind of getting the serious side and competitive side out of it as well well i think it was it was almost like just two really well fitted pieces from a puzzle it was almost just fun for me was being really good at the event it was you know getting to the point where i can turn up to any competition and just say on the day if you want to win you have to beat me um so firstly i was really enjoying the rate at which i was progressing i was enjoying having people around me who were better than me and it was just the fact that i was almost being given these really new fun toys just like oh you get to go to british championships now you get to go to the World Junior Championships now. You get to compete against Robbie Grabard. And um, yeah, I, th I think it was just made really enjoyable because I was progressing so fast. And then in terms of like your, your family and stuff, obviously you mentioned there that your dad had had a conversation with Dennis. What support did they provide you with? Did they ever talk to you about whether it was fun or whether it's too much or what your goals were? Because like it says, it seems like there you've, you know, you're quite goal oriented and saying, I want to beat this person. I want to do world champions. Did they ever discuss this with you? Or is this something that you kept to yourself um, and just internalized? Um, yeah, we would have conversations for sure. So my dad was always the one who would drive me to and from training. 
we all we'd always sit around the dinner table and have a chat and it was never a case that they'd sit me down and have this really serious conversation saying you know you could be really good at this you need to try it the pressure was never put on me um or no you know there was never a point where they put too much pressure on me it was always just a case of oh just you know maybe maybe we will start cooking a few healthier meals we'll make sure you're eating a bit more around training time so they were really supportive in the fact that they just wanted to make sure they they enjoyed watching my progression obviously because you know um seeing your kids succeed is is you know an, an amazing thing but um yeah they I, I think the main point and the main reason i was able to progress i've said it a few times already is i was they i was my progression was allowed to happen. It was never forced to happen. It was never, there was never any more pressure put on me than I could handle. So I was allowed to grow rather than being forced into being something that I'm, and, and then being made into something I didn't want to be. I think it's a really interesting point because that support that you got from family there going, oh, maybe we'll just change your, change your dinner table, timetable or whatever they're putting all the groundwork in for you to be successful, but without kind of explicitly telling you that, which I think, you know, that's, that's a really good family support network to have. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess move, moving forward, then obviously you've got to a point where you with Dennis, you're realizing that actually, you know, you're, you've jumped a lot higher. Um, you got British champs around the corner, all that type of stuff. What, was your then what was your progression after that what were you looking to once you start going to those types of competitions um i think i just wanted to be competitive in every competition i went to because i jump into 18 uh that made me competitive in my age group you know that meant that i could turn up to the under 20s and maybe the under 23s and i could put in a performance that would get me a medal um what i wanted then was to be like okay, I want to be able to turn up to British Championships and I want to be fighting for a medal there. I want to be able to turn up and be, you know, fighting against Chris Baker or Robbie Grabars or Mike Edwards, who are, you know, the two of them aren't really about anymore. One of them still jumping, but um, uh, he's done for a different country. Chris is still about, but yeah, I just really wanted to turn up and just be competitive everywhere I went. Um, and because I'd had such a rapid trajectory the year before it was very easy for me to believe that to say i'm not training any more than i have been i'm not putting in I'm, I'm putting in more effort when i'm at the training sessions i'm being more deliberate in what i'm doing but you know to, it's not exactly like i was training like a world-class athlete and i was still being able to put out these results which could one day make me one so that was very much for me what drove me. I just wanted to be competitive because I knew that 2015 and early 2016, I didn't so much know what I was capable of. But then 2016 into 2017, I was like, I don't know what I'm capable of, but in the sense of, oh, this could go a lot further than I ever thought it could have. And how old are you at this point when all of this is going on? So when I went to World Junior Championships, I was 17. And then 2017, I was 18 when I jumped to 30. Okay. So, I mean, that that's a very quick turnaround from someone, yeah. you know, essentially at the start of secondary school, not really having any interest in doing the sport, just kind of 
did it because you found out you were good at it to then obviously kind of by early sixth form jump in you know in in european championships and all that type of stuff how how did you manage that rise kind of for you as a person you've probably gone from having i guess a, a group of friends that you would play manhunt with etc to then obviously going well there's probably a little bit of a focus that i need to place here because i'm doing really well with it how did you manage that transition as an individual i don't think it was something i needed to manage i think it was actually something that made me more confident and more social and more it made me feel better about myself because of the fact that i was doing what i was doing and doing so well at it it kind of gave me a bit of I don't want to say clout. I want to, I kind of had respect from other people because of it. So a lot of people, they kind of get to that stage and they're like, oh, I felt a bit more pressure to perform. For me, I think I'm just a very laid back person. I think, you know, I let, I let it come to me. I didn't force anything. So it was just a case of, um, I was always looking for ways to improve, but you know, it was all about turning up to the competitions and just doing what I could. It was never about saying, oh, I have to do this. I have to get this medal at this competition. I just I just let it happen. And because I believed so much in my ability and what I could do, a lot of the time it did happen. And have you been able to maintain that outlook now you're becoming more high profile? Because obviously you're now going, you know, one of the top ones in the UK in terms of your, your rankings and, and what you're able to achieve height-wise. But then obviously you're looking at potentially going into world championships or Olympics or that type of stuff. Have you been able to maintain that outlook of not really focusing too much on external pressure? Um, so yeah, you said about kind of managing it now compared to before. I think I still kind of maintain, yeah, I very much still maintain that mindset, although it has shifted somewhat. Um, I think before it was very much a case of, oh, it's going to be really it's going to be a really cool competition i'm going to have a lot of fun let me just see what i can do with this um but in the positive sense of being like oh let's see where i can go um i think now because of the fact that i'm putting in so much more work i'm working hard i'm working harder in training i'm being more deliberate with my technique i'm sleeping better i'm eating better um i think now i don't have to so much say let me see how I can do today. I can say, I let me put in the performance I know I'm capable of. So it's almost gone from, oh, it's gone from luck to me being more deliberate with it. It's just a case of, because I put in the work, I know that when I want to put in the results, I can put in the results. If I'm having a bad day, I know what I can do to fix that. So it's, it's almost like, when I was younger, I just had to see how it went. Whereas now I can go and I can make the result happen. So, so where's the confidence in that result come from? Because that is, you know, that's a mind sh shift really of going, well, we'll see what happens to, I'm pretty confident that regardless of what happens today and how I'm feeling, I can get the result I need. So where's that comfort, uh, confidence come from? I think it's just the results. Um, I've always, you know, I've always been very good at, say, like third attempts, which a lot of people crumble under the pressure. I've always known what I can do. So a lot of the time when I believe I can do it, I can put out the result. 
And I think for me, because I've been able to go to these big competitions, I've been able to put in these performances and now I'm putting in the work that I know I should put in. I've kind of taken the game from being something I play to something I kind of control. It's something I can kind of actually, I can manipulate my pieces for when I want to because just because I put the work in, I know what I can put out. And I think a lot of that, I kind of sacrificed going to uni and to a lot of people that's like, oh, well, that probably doesn't make a lot of difference. But when I was younger, I was somebody, I love to go to parties. I love to drink. I love to just have, you know, have a good weekend with my mate. But because I sacrificed that and I've now spent the time to put the foundations in, you know, when I'm, I'm stronger than I've ever been, I'm more technically aware than I've ever been. It's enabled me to just have the best mindset I've ever been in because I put them, I put down them foundations that my, you know, what I output now is so much stronger than what I did before. It's just really interesting what you're saying there about the third attempt uh, thing. So why do you think you're so successful at those third attempts? Because before, I, like I said, I'm so laid back when I was younger. It was just a case of, so when I'm in the competition, I just say, it you know that that's for me as soon as I, i've got one good one in me every, every competition but i just say in all the pressure just feels like it's gone i know that it you know because i've kind of take it i'm very good at taking it into my own hands and being like yeah let me let me do this now that's me now that's my mindset now that because i can because i put the foundations in i can control what result i get but when i was younger it was just a case of oh, i say ah oh, and then all the pressure just felt like it was gone. I was just like, oh, let me see how this goes. Let me just, I'll just put it, I'll just do this properly this time. And um, yeah, I, I just think I'm very lucky that because I've been so laid back in when I was younger, rather than now putting pressure on myself when I do that, it's enabled me to just actually go, I'm actually good at these. I actually excel on my third attempt, so I don't have to worry about this. I think that's that's really interesting. So like, I, I saw a clip, I think earlier today, he was talking about uh, Kobe Bryant. He was saying the reason he doesn't get nervous, at, well, didn't get nervous at the end of games was because of the preparation that he'd done. He said, exactly. I'm not doing something that I'm unfamiliar with. I've done it a thousand times. So it's just kind of repeating that skill. It sounds like for you, your kind of mentality started off with a well this is just fun we'll just see what happens like it is what it is type of deal to now being in a position where you've got a body of work behind you both in terms of competition situations but also in the preparation you're doing where you're really confident that actually i know that i can produce when i need to exactly i, I think that's the really good way of putting it like i have done over i've done at this point, I've probably done in eight years, about 120 competitions. And in each one of those competitions, I've probably done about 20 jumps. And I still only like one twentieth of the jumps I've done in my whole career. I spend, a, we, we really put a huge focus on the technique. You know, you don't need, in this event, you don't need to be strong per se obviously you need to have strength in the right places and you need to have a solid foundation like you know when it comes to your hips and ankles you know being strong in those areas is really important but compared to an event like shot put 
where you need all the strength behind you in the world, high jump is technical. And we are good at this event because we were born with these exceptionally long Achilles tendons, which have now enabled us to do what we do. So obviously you need to be strong, but it's about the technique. And I have executed that technique thousands, if not tens of thousands of times. I know what I've got to do. I've competed most, I've competed hundreds of times. I've completed thousands of jumps. So I just go out there and do what I've done a thousand times. It's just a different stadium with the same pressures or, you know, more pressure, but I've done this before. This isn't new to me. No, it makes complete sense. So one one question is something that really intrigues me with, with events like yours, which is after you've done your jump and say, for example, either you failed um, when you get into the higher end or you've jumped and you're waiting for everyone else to kind of go through their setup and their jumps. What do you actually do during that time? Because I imagine you can't stay under high like arousal in a sporting context for that entire period. So what are you actually doing in between time to get yourself prepared, ready for your next jump? So a lot of time we're just kind of sat there watching the competition. You know, that's obviously pretty much the only thing we can do. We can't bring our phones in. It's not like you're going to sit there and read a book during the competition. I mean, some people have, but there, there are a rare few. Um, between jumps, I think we're just thinking about technique. We're just thinking about what we did right or what we did wrong on the last one. And we're just thinking about what we're going to do on the next height. And a lot of the jump starts as soon as you stand on the check mark. A lot of competitions will just be sat there chatting to each other. You know, we're for high jump and pole vault and long jump and, you know, the field event, you're out there for like an hour and a half, two hours. You're not going to sit there in silence. So a lot of the time we're just chatting to each other. But if you watch really closely, what you'll see is we go from chatting to each other and as soon as we stand on the mark, it's almost like those videos where you see someone laughing and their face just drops. That all, everything you've been thinking about and joking about is gone. So I think for me, as soon as I stand on my check mark, that's kind of me. I'm in the zone. You, one thing you learn as a field owner is how to turn on and switch off just flick of a bow. You know, you really learn that you can go from having a laugh with someone to being on your game just it takes seconds that that's a, that's a skill that you really do have to learn in, in, the, in this event so did you develop that from just being in competition or was there any particular strategies you were provided with for that i think i just learned it over time um you know when, when i was younger i remember there were a few com i've only ever no heighted twice in my in my career uh one of them i was younger and it was because me and this, this adam brooks uh, guy I brought up before we just spent the entire time chatting I didn't have that ability to just switch it on and off at that point uh, so I kind of I was chatting I stood on my chat mark and I was like oh no what am I doing <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't switched on at all and I ended up no high in that competition so um, yeah it's, it's very much just a skill you kind of learn over time and I think again the more work you've put behind you the stronger the foundation you put behind you while I'm in competition, I kind of run off aggression. I mean, I'm kind of thinking, I, I'm going to beat you today. So as soon as you feel that aggression, it, it comes from the fact that you've put this work in, so I'm not going to give it to you today. This, I want this win. I want this result. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think that's a skill you learn, but something you almost earn 
because of the work you put in. And do you, during that time, do you critique like your rivals around you and say, oh, this is why they hit the bar on that one or this is the reason why, you know, they excel during this phase of it? Or do you just focus purely on what you're doing more than the others? I, w- I watch other people jump a little bit, but I don't think I'll so much critique them. Um, sometimes if uh, we'll, we'll talk to each other in competition, when it's a very low-level competition um, or, you know, something not you know not a championship you'll very much just be like oh just just do this next time you know maybe just run a little bit faster or just say decelerated on this um you kind of the more the when when you get to this level you kind of just learn the technique you know what a good jump and a bad jump looks like um but it's, it's not you're not trying to coach other athletes you're kind of just focusing on your own thing but you, you like, like a, say that again sorry I was just going to say, like, you can see you can see the difference between a good jump and a bad jump. You can the the thing with high jump is it's got to be very fluid. So there's a motion to it, and sometimes as soon as you see a disconnect, you'll just be like, he's not clearing this, and most of the time they won't. And can you feel that when you're jumping yourself? Can you feel that there's a disconnect and go, yeah, I'm going to hit into this one. You can feel the disconnect, but I I don't. I think because of Again, the foundations, they, those ones where I think I'm not going to clear it don't really happen anymore. They're very far and few, um, few between. Um, or sorry, few and far between. But, um, yeah, I, I, you kind of iron out the kinks the more you do it and the more time you spend on the technique. Uh, but yeah, so, sometimes you'll be like, oh, I've messed this up. So this, this I'm going to have to work a bit harder on takeoff. And then for you, obviously, that takes quite a lot of self-awareness to be able to do a jump and then kind of critique your own performance for however long it's going to be, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, or five minutes, to then go back and do the same thing again. How did you get to the stage where you were able to really home in on minor details and say, yeah, this is what went wrong on this one, this is what went right, or this is an area that I need to focus on moving forward? So, because of the fact that we put such a, such, um, we, sorry, what's the word? I'm really struggling there. We put such a focus on uh, technique during training. It very much just becomes second nature. So, if my coach says to me, oh, you, you, you sunk into takeoff, uh, I then know what that feels like. And say I do that five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more times, um, I know exactly what that feels like. So as soon as that happens again in competition, I, I know that feeling. I know oh, I've done this wrong. So it, it's just about experience. It's, you put the high jump is such a technical event to the point that when you do something wrong, if, if you're having a normal day where you're not feeling like rubbish, you're not really tired, you will know you've done something wrong and you will feel that because that fluidity, I can't, I can't highlight enough and I can't exaggerate enough just how fine-tuned we are as athletes to the point where we know when I'm jumping, I know what my little toe is doing. <laughs> like The technique is such a focus for us that, yeah, we're not gymnasts, but we're not far, we're not far off. So do you work on that then? So say, for example, you're, you're training um and you do a jump you hit into the the pole etc and then 
would your coach go, what went wrong? And then you would present, like, not present back, but almost say, yeah, I did this and this. Uh, when I was younger, when I first started working with him, he, he challenged me a little bit and said, what do you think you did wrong on that? And then because of the fact it became so natural, rather than him asking, I just say, oh, I kind of, I, I did this. Uh, it, it just becomes part of the communication. So he kind of taught me to think about it. And then I kind of ran with that. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting in terms of the context of other sports. So quite often, like in, in a football context or rugby context, you get it where the coach always feeds back and never mm-hmm. or rarely gives the athlete the opportunity to say, well, this is what I did wrong. Whereas I think that, you know, from it sounds like you've got a real level of self-awareness because you were constantly challenged to say, what do you think you did wrong? What do you think you did wrong? Yeah. And now that's become a process where you're just acutely aware of it. Yeah, I think that's the, so that is the sign of both a good athlete and a good coach. I think if you're not being challenged as an athlete to think about your own performance, then you, there's something wrong there. Because say there's so many competitions where, you, you know, the meeting won't pay for your coach to come out with you. So say you're out there on your own and you can't tell yourself what you've done wrong. You're screwed. You're having a bad day. What are you going to do? So for, for things like sprints and endurance events, you know, the, the things you do wrong aren't that they're glaringly obvious, but because of the fact that technique is such a, so important in high jump and say pole vault, you, you really do have to be aware of everything. So an athlete being able to tell you what he or she is doing wrong and right is the sign of a, you know, a mature athlete and a good coach. No, I think it's really good. I think it's something. You've, you've just said to me there, it's in, a, in a football context, for example, could they, could you put them in a position where the coach actually isn't on the sideline? So maybe they go yeah. and sit in the stand somewhere and give them opportunities where the players have to solve the, solve the issues without any support from their coaches. And it might look a bit weird, but you might bring out more leadership. You might get more yeah. self-reflective things, I think. In a, well, that's, that's the thing as well. Like, say, say on one... I don't know. I'm not a football fan myself. I watch a bit of basketball, and I know you know in basketball they run these plays. I'm not sure if that's so familiar in football. But if a if a player can identify themselves what they are doing wrong, five minutes down the line, the exact same thing happens. They know what they've got to do to get that right. They can identify themselves. So I think an athlete, regardless of sport, if you can think for yourself, you're a mature athlete. That that's part of that's part of the characteristics that every athlete should carry. They should be able to critique their own performance. Yeah. And I just think it's a really interesting way that it's built into your, your sport and the, the interaction you have, which is it starts off in a position where they'll constantly question you. And then it gets to a stage where you can say, I did this and they might be able to give you a little bit of a tip off the back of that or say, well, yeah, this and that. But yeah. it's a it's a journey which is really good. So I think if we if we move on now to obviously you, you mentioned at the start you had a competition uh, recently. Um, do you want to talk through kind of what the the month of training block looks like for you going into a competition like that? What obviously the competition actually entailed, what you jumped, how you jumped during the day, and then what that's me- meant for you subsequently. Yeah, sure. Um... 
so at the moment I'm in a very odd position. So the way I'm going to explain this is different than what would normally happen, but I'll try and kind of explain what I'm doing now and what I would normally be doing in the perfect circumstances. At the moment, I'm still kind of in the rehab phase. So I mentioned before, I, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this just to you while we were chatting before, if I actually mentioned this in the podcast, but I, I tore my patella tendon, uh, last, last year and had to have an operation because of it. So I'm still on the back end of rehabbing that. Uh, I, I had the operation in July of 2020 and I'm still getting some discomfort. So at the moment, I'm kind of having to train as hard as I can within limits. So funnily enough, um, I mentioned to you before, uh, I had only had two training uh, jump sessions before um, the competition. And that was, the since my operation, I've had four, maybe five jump sessions. And the competition was the fifth. It was, it was a bit strange to do that because I, usually what we would do is we'd be jumping say like every tuesday and we would do that for throughout the entire winter so normally i'd have three months or you know 12 really good jump sessions behind me but to have literally two or three jump sessions behind me was a little bit weird um going into the competition uh it was a little bit daunting like i said hadn't had the preparation i wanted at all um there were a lot of points where i, I gave a little bit too much in training and then the, the knee would flare up so I had to hold back again and you know that's very much been the story for the past few months but going into competition uh, I came out jumped to 227 which put me first in the country at the moment uh, what that does for me at the moment is it puts me in a really good position going into the, the championships next month or the end of this month sorry the the qualification process for Tokyo involves me coming out and jumping so I've jumped 233, which is the A standard uh, given by the um, International Olympic Committee. And if I come top two in the British Championships, that then um, means I'm on the plane. I'm on. I'm part of Team GB heading to Tokyo. Um, so to kind of come out and have such, I don't want to say terrible preparation because my coach is putting a hell of a lot of work. The SNCs are putting a lot of work, and the physios, you know, the team behind me getting me to where I am now is putting a phenomenal amount of work and have put me in the best position I can be for the circumstances I'm in, but it's far from what I would normally do. What I'd normally be doing is, you know, multiple strength sessions, um, going at like, yeah, max, uh, max intensity. I'll be doing multiple jump sessions and just doing as much as I can to be in the best mindset. But at the moment, it's just like, I'm doing the best I can. It's, it's a really strange one, but to have that behind me and then still be in a position where I'm ranked number one in the country. Again, that's a huge confidence booster for me. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. I don't. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> we, we'll loop that round in a minute. I think it's interesting what you said there. Like, obviously, you mentioned earlier, you're a really competitive individual. You're going through a stage where maybe you're not being able to get as many jump sessions in as as you'd like, or be able to do the the amount of strength conditioning work as you like. So, how have you managed that on a personal level? Because if you're competitive, you're probably there going, we well, you know this time last year I was able to do this or this time last year I was able to do that, but you can't currently, well, you, there would have been a period because of the injury, you wouldn't have been able to achieve those goals. So how did you manage that yourself? Uh, that's been a big challenge. I think the, the biggest test so far has been keeping myself mentally in a good place. So my coach is constantly asking me, how are you feeling? Uh, and I can, at the moment, I haven't really been able to tell him because of the fact that, 
the way I feed back to him is how I'm feeling when I'm doing the plyometric and the dynamic training, the stuff that involves being really bouncy. Um, and we haven't been able to do that for long at all. So I've just had to say, I don't know how I'm feeling, but I trust the work I'm doing pretty much. And that's all I can do. Um, the one focus for me has been making sure that I'm eating and sleeping right. Because like I said, if I'm putting in this work, I need to make sure that I'm actually getting the best result out of it. So because I've put put in this work and I've been making sure my recovery is the best it can be, although I haven't been able to do the things that I would say, these are the markers for where I am physically, I've been able to trust the fact that I'm in good shape because everything aside from that, I've been doing at the best that I possibly can do. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a huge mental challenge because I haven't known where I am physically before doing the jump session and I've just had to say okay we're putting in this work and I'm going to trust that this work is doing what it needs to do. No that, make, that makes absolute sense so w when we're looking at uh, if you go kind of pre-injury if you like so you, you're leading into a competition you know what's coming up what would your weekly schedule look like what would you be doing um, in terms of the types of jumps, level jumps, the plyo type stuff, in strength conditioning, what type of work were you doing? If if you know sets and reps and stuff, obviously share those yeah. if if you're able to. So yeah, if you go like I guess two weeks out before a competition, what what would your schedule normally look like? In an idea, um, I'm not one of those who's like really focused on numbers. I'm very laid back with it. Again, um, for me, I think. It's pretty much saying I go as heavy as I can when I'm lifting, uh, but we do very low repetitions. We don't want to tire uh, tire out too much. And then when I'm jumping, I just try and go as high as I can, but again, low repetitions. The whole point before competition is to do be as dynamic as possible, really get the springs working, and then just to, as long as you keep the reps low, you're not going to tire yourself out too much. And so that will involve some really heavy. We don't do like full range squats because there's no particular point to it. You might be strengthening the muscle, but it's not through the anywhere near the range that we work at. So when we're doing stuff like squats, we'll only do half squats. We won't go all the way to the bottom. But um, yeah, I'll just try and max out like a, a, a half squat. And then the week of competition, pretty much just keep it to jump in and the, the dynamic work, like hops and bounds and stuff like that. Uh, it's very much, the week of the competition is just making sure you're in good shape testing yourself a little bit and then trying to maintain that and just kind of, yeah, just make sure you can shape really. So in terms of like what your, I guess, if you want to say one, one rep max would be on a half squat, what would that be? Do you know? Um, so that's two, 270 uh, kg from us. Well, it's not a half squat. It's what we do is we, um, rather than standing up with it, going down and then going back up again, you position the bar in the uh, in the lower position of the half squat and you just try and stand up with it. And the whole point of that is you do that as quickly as possible and um, that will kind of teach the muscles to work quickly, but con uh, to contract quickly, but work really hard. So the most I've ever done for that, which I think is called an Anderson squat, is 270 kilograms. Okay. And I'm assuming you do a lot of work mainly on the lower body rather than upper body mainly? I have never done an upper body session in my life <laughs> i am 90 percent leg and that's that is literally we work all of my training 
is we work on the legs and we work on the core. You know, the core is just as important as working the legs. So that's pretty much all we do. So, and in terms of core work, what kind of, I imagine it's a lot of core stability, what type of work would you be looking at for that? Uh, so we mix in a few things. Um, we'll do, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think now, we'll do like a little ab circuit, um, do that a couple of times a week. We'll do some endurance holds where you do a sit up, kind of put your fingers in your ears and you do 15 seconds down, 15 seconds up. And you'll do that like three or four times. Uh, they sound really easy, but they are ridiculously fatiguing. And um, we'll also do some weighted stuff. So that's like Russian twists, going side, um, working the obliques, going side to side. Um, but yeah, when it comes to core, core is something you can never work too much of. As long as you, you can do a little bit every single day, you're on the right trajectory. Um, the legs, you can work too hard, but core is just blast away. Do, do the best you can. Yeah, no, I th I th that's that sounds really good. It doesn't sound easy that core thing. So don't yeah. worry about that. I have um, the passion. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. It sounds horrendous. Um, so in terms of like your plyo type stuff, what what duration of session would that be when when you're looking at doing like uh, jumping over hurdles or that or box jumps yeah. or anything? What type of work are you doing around there, and how how? how often how long are you doing that for so normally we would have two maybe three fairly intense well we'll have two really intense um fire sessions those are usually like tuesdays and wednesdays and then friday we'll have like a, a medium one if i mean like that friday we'll do a little bit of gym and then we'll do a little bit of pliers um in terms of duration, we usually, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the most intense sessions. We're usually in the hall for about three, four hours. But the whole reason we're in there for that long is we do really high intensity stuff. We make sure we take loads of breaks as well. You, you basically just make sure you take a little bit of break between each set so that you're recovered as best as you can. And the whole point of the event is to be as powerful as possible. So there's not a whole lot of point of just doing, say, five sets of five hurdle jumps and then doing them really close together because on the, the fourth and fifth you're going to be really fatigued so the whole point is you take those breaks and then you can put in 100 percent every single set and you're teaching the muscles and the tendons to fire 100 percent every single time okay now that makes that makes complete sense so i guess moving forward for you now as you said you kind of done this competition which is giving you a little bit of leeway coming into british chance hoping to um, obviously get top two which gets you on the plane in terms of um the excitement for you if you were able to seal that and get on the plane how how big a deal is that for you being able to be an official olympian going to a tokyo olympics um yeah so this that will be huge i think i'll probably cry i haven't cried in years either um it's just I think the biggest thing for me is I've had such a difficult year because of the fact that so last indoors I was one of the best jumpers in the world like I jumped 233 and I was the only one who jumped 230 as many times as I did um so to do that and then go from not you know you're in really good shape you've got Olympic qualifying you're going into Tokyo and like oh you, you might be you know one of the medal contenders and then going a few months later you can't even walk because your knees been cut open 
to go through that and then have to go through that whole rehab process and get to the shape I'm in now and then make still make it to the team on Tokyo would be just huge. Like it's been such a um, injury is difficult for anyone. So I'm not going to sit here and you know, give a whole sob story. Every athlete goes through it. But I think any athlete that does go through it and can still come out the other side is such an amazing thing. It's such a challenge. And I don't think there's anything I really could have appreciated until going through it myself. So, you know, to kind of go through that and then put the cherry on top to be able to go to Tokyo and compete as an Olympian is just going to be huge. And do you think if if it does happen, all things being well and you're able to seal your seat on the plane, do you think physically you'll be in a position where actually you're close to your best with the extra time that you've got until now, until when the, your event actually starts? I think I can be for sure. Uh, it's like I said, though, because I'm having to do so much limited work, I I am stronger than I've ever been in my life. It's brilliant. Like the work I've been doing is really showing. And the fact that I jumped in my second jump session back, I jumped 225. And then in my third in, in the competition, I jumped 227. I know for a fact I'm in phenomenal shape. And I've never looked at the bar and felt so confident I was going to clear it. So mentally, I'm in a phenomenal place. But then also, I know that because the work hasn't been there that I wanted, I don't know just how good shape I'm in. So I think. You know, I'm I'm in great shape. You know, I, I'm really confident that I can make the Olympic finals, and we'll we'll see what happens past that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really, I, I'm really having to trust the work and trust the team that is, uh, you know, planning this all for me. And who would be your main rivals for the event? So who are who are the other people that are jumping particularly well at this moment in time that you think if you did make it would probably be the people that are up there with you? Uh, wait, do you mean do you mean champs or the Olympics? Both, both. So in terms of champs, yeah. obviously you've got that coming up, and then if you would get through that going into the Olympics, yeah. Uh, so champs, I think my main rivals probably the likes of Chris Baker, Will Grimsey, David Smith, uh, Joel Kahn. Um, the whole field at British champs is it. There's a wealth of talent there. You know, there are people who. If they catch the right day, I'm going to have to put in the work. I'm going in there as, you know, one of the best jumpers who's proven himself the most. But I know that any one of them could have a great day and I'm finishing second or third. So um, that's what I mean when I say I've got to turn up. You know, I've really got to make sure I'm on my A game because it's as soon as I get lenient with it, that's when someone's going to take it from me. Um so yeah, I'm, I, it's going to be one of those. Those are the people I'm expecting to put in the best result. But any any one of them or anyone in that competition could have a good day. And yeah, it, it's going to be on, on an Olympic year. You're always going to get a, a, a strong competition. The Olympics themselves, uh, wow. I mean, the, the field at the moment is phenomenal. You've got, I think you've probably got like 13 people over 233, and you know that doesn't happen very often. Um got the likes of uh Mutaz Bashim from or Mutaz Essabashim from Qatar. He's he hasn't had the highest results at the moment, but he's someone you can never count out. He's one of the best jumpers of all time. Uh a guy Maxim Nadesakal from Belarus, uh Brandon Stark from Australia, Gianmarco Tamberi from Italy. The 
high jump at the moment is in a really, really good place for the number of people over 230. And, uh, you know, you've got a wealth of Americans who always put in a really good performance whenever pressure's put on them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Olympics is going to be majorly competitive, majorly, majorly competitive. And in, in terms of, for you, is there, outside of obviously just being an Olympian and well, hopefully being an Olympian and being in the event, is there anything that particularly excites you about the whole spectacle itself? I just want that tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the Olympic rings on my arm. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, the, you know, I really can't say there's anything I want more than to be an Olympian at the moment. I think, you know, I put in such a phenomenal amount of work that, yeah, that that's me. That That's what I want to walk away and be able to say for the rest of my life, I'm an, I'm an Olympian. And in looking at, like, obviously you've been through a lot of steps to get to this point to where you are now. Is there a particular experience or, or highlight during that time that you think, you know, really set you on the right path or something that really stands out to you and say, yeah, that was a, a great experience that's led me to where I am now? I'd probably say European Junior Champs in Grosseto in 2017. So I walked in the Champs and my PB was 223. I wasn't expecting to medal uh, while I was on the plane, but as soon as I got in the competition, for some reason, I just felt different. I just felt like a different person, a different athlete. And then I came out with a bronze medal, jumped 228. And when I tell you that 228, it, you know, I was clearing it like this. Like I had so many centimetres between me and the bar that I looked at that and I said, wow, this is, this is a career I've got here. This is, I've got such a wealth of talent. I just got to put in the work. So I think to have that experience, to have a team behind me that was, um, you know, they were really supportive of me watching, uh, watching high jump. Um, yeah, I, I just think as a whole, that was probably one of the best experiences in my career so far. Also Commonwealth Games, but that's for a different reason. That was more just so because I was in Australia and I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> which is as good a reason as any so what was that feeling like when you're when you're going up on the podium and you're obviously not expecting to medal but you're coming away with a with a bronze medal what is that feeling like when you're able to I guess finally digest that yeah it wasn't as good as you think it would be because as soon as I thought about the fact that I was on the podium I was like yeah but I'm not on the, the top step like, <laughs> I, as, like I got the, I pretty much in my head I got the medal when I finished third as soon as I was on that podium, I had a whole day to think about it, and I was like, oh, "I could have, I could have won this. Uh, I could have." It was really cool to digest it, but also it was just such a. It was like a sour. It was a sweet and sour moment. I had. Yeah, I, I just think for me, as soon as I get that achievement, I'm on to the next one. I, I think I move on a little bit too quick. I can't really enjoy the moment when it's there. So, uh, yeah, that's just something I gotta learn, but. It was cool being on the podium, but not hearing the British anthem was a frustration. No, I think it's interesting. It links back to what you said at the start, that, that competition element to your mindset. And that's probably what makes you an elite athlete. The fact that you're like, it's great. I've got this bronze, but actually there's, I want the gold one. <laughs> I want to be at the yeah, top step. Sure. I'm telling you, I could probably win gold at the Olympics. And I'll be like, yeah, but I didn't jump a world record though, did I? And even <laughs> I did, I'd be like, yeah, but I could have jumped higher. Yeah, well, if I tell you what, if you do get a gold at the Olympics, I think you can give yourself a two-day grace period. I think I think that'll uh, be fine, rather than just doing uh, a one day. 
You know what? Yeah, you know what? I'll meet you in the middle. I'll, I'll take a day at least. Yeah, that sounds good. Perfect. So, Tom, um, one last question for me, which is, who is the best coach or athlete you've worked with or against and why? Uh, I'm going to give two answers. One, the best coach is the coach I've got. You know, Dennis Doyle is... I don't think it's just his technical ability. I think it's the fact that he's moulded me into the athlete I am today and he's put such a focus on making sure that I am... I've diversified as more than just an athlete. You know, I've, I've got skills now which don't just make me a good competitor but make me somebody who could be you know be very effective in a professional workplace um so you know he's really made sure i'm a great person and not just a great athlete and the greatest competitor i've ever been against um no i think it's probably he beat he's beat me like every time i've competed against him it's a guy like the belarusian maxim medesikar and i think i'd say he's the best because he's always because of the fact he's always beat me, he's given me so much motivation that it just moulded me as a person as well. I, I just think the fact that if I had beat him the first time, if I had beat him the second time I came up against him, because he's the guy who beat me both times at European Juniors and European Under-23, I think, you know, the past few years and even the next few years, until, until I start beating him and I become the better athlete out of the two of us, I'm always going to be chasing. I'm always going to be motivated to be a better and better athlete because I can't. I can't let that sit on my conscience. I let him be a better athlete than me. So, yeah, I, I think because he is so strong, and I'm in a field that I'm in that field with him, he's made me a stronger athlete as well. Perfect. Two really, really good answers, and I think it kind of aligns with the common common themes that have come out of this podcast which particularly the competition element for you is a big one and I'm sure everyone listening will wish you all the best um, yeah, thank you. going thank into the much. British champs coming up and um, hopefully you get into those top two spaces and we'll, we see you kind of out in Tokyo um, doing your thing out there so all, all the best for the rest of the year It'd be great to catch up with you again at some point and uh, good good luck over the coming months thank you I really appreciate that Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.